0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: everybody uh Merle Fankhauser over in California that's the guy that wrote uh believe it or not wipe out that was him just singing and uh I've lost control of my board there for a while and everything in the music department was off but so was everything else and <laughs> I finally hit it on, and on, turn it off, so go figure. Anyway, welcome aboard, everybody. We're finally here. We're a little late, better late than never, I guess. So this is T.J. Marcy CT Radio, with American Communication Online, and I have invited... Oh boy, Russ Brenniger. And he's going to tell us a little bit about him. He's an excellent author in our group. We have American Communication Online, and we're going to do ACO Invisible College tonight. And my co host is Ken R. Johnston, Sr. of New Mexico. But let me, Ken, are you there? Can you say hi? I can say hi. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> Apologize to both you and Russ. Russ, are you there? Can you say hi real quick? And we'll get started.
2: Ah oh, yeah I'm here I was just I thought that was Jefferson airplane <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it's okay, we're here now. I lost two hours. I looked at 5.15 and we had Skype up with a guy calling in, a friend of mine from radio in Iroh over in U.K. and then uh, Tommy Huxborough over in Hawaii. And somehow they uh, they were on Skype on my phones and on my computer and I tried to get off and I couldn't and tied up my computer. So there's a lot to be said these days, folks, with where we're going with the communication. And that's what I'm in is communications, unlike... Uh, some people, I'm not as brilliant as when I feel out of control. In other words, we have these contraptions or these things we use these days to communicate, and sometimes we just feel completely out of Uh, I don't know, out of control. I don't know why everything was all connected in places in space and cyberspace, but I wasn't. So I was sitting here watching things happen, and I kept... It was funny, Russ and Ken were emailing me on Facebook, or IM and me, and that would come through and knock my studio down again. I'm like, darn, I said two or three times I was trying (laughs) to pull it back up. So everything is connected these days, folks, electronically, whether we want them to be or not. So I see all these apps and things going on, but I really... I'm absolutely amazed at how they connect themselves and will override what I was doing. So apparently I need a lot more uh, education on how these things work. So let's get to the great meat of this ACO Invisible College that is definitely invisible, and that's E.T. Ebens, N-D-E-O-B-E, e. Cosmos, Russ brenniger and, Russ Br- Br- Russ and I hope I'm saying that right, and Ken R. Johnston. Now uh, – Russ, uh, real quickly let me just let Ken introduce himself As is normal with most radio shows Is the host, I am Teresa J. Morris T.J. Morris, better known in radio world And Ken R. Johnston So Ken, introduce yourself And then we'll get Russ to have his bio set up And ready to go, Russ So Ken, just give us a quick intro on who you are And why you're here with me
3: (laughs) Uh, I guess it's just because I'm very fortunate And very lucky to be here with you now, I was going to say, I was one of the four civilian astronauts on the Apollo program with the Grumman Corporation that built the uh, uh, the lunar module and tested the vacuum chamber and helped train the regular NASA astronauts how to fly. They got all the glory, and we got all the glory, but then it was at the time, it was all to beat the Russians to the moon, and it was all exciting to do that. So now I'm with the team of group that are, we're trying to get the truth out about what really was going on with the secret space program.
1: All right, that sounds great. Russ Brenniger, I'm going to put Ken's name right up here with mine and yours, T.J. Morris and Ken. So Russell Brenniger, is that your full name, Russell, and you want to tell us how much you want people to know about you tonight? Go ahead.
2: Well, it's Russell Scott Brenniger, my middle name's Scott, but you can call me Russ, and you actually pronounce my last name right, Brenniger. That's great. <laughs> but, um, wow. I was uh, raised in the, in the Space Coast in Florida. Um, I was probably watching Ken Johnson's work on TV as a kid. I um, grew up with uh, Apollo moon rockets. We used to go down to the Indian River and watch all the uh, Saturn V moon rockets go off. There would be about a million and a half people collected in Titusville on the banks of the Indian River selling hot dogs and playing music. And My grandparents came in from Oklahoma and we got to watch all the rockets go off, so that was great. But um, at the age of 17, I had taken all the preliminary testing in the Air Force, uh, but I got discouraged because they selected me as an alternate because of my eyes. I'm wearing trifocals now, so they're right looking back on it. But I guess I got impatient as a young man, and I joined the Army as a gunner on an 81-millimeter mortar crew in the uh, 101st Airborne Infantry. And I got out early after two years uh, on a Chapter 5 expeditious discharge. It was sort of like the inability to adjust the military service. And I wandered the earth for about three years with no money, and that was one of the best times of my life. I, I just loved, I stepped foot in about every 50 states, all the states. And, um, I really enjoyed out west and got a real good glimpse of the beautiful country we live in. But I eventually made it back to Indiana. My parents had moved back home uh, when I went into the Army. So I went into sales for about a decade and a half, and I was just uh, in my mid-30s, kind of tired of uh, selling things to people. So I signed up for college at IU in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, for about four and a half years. And I graduated in 1997 with a bachelor's degree in occupational therapy. And my goal was to uh, do that for 20 years of a second career and then retire, which I did after 20 years in 2017. So I'm retired now. I still go in once a week. It uh, kind of keeps me grounded, and I enjoy meeting the residents. I work in long-term care. But for the first 54 years of my life, I was what you'd call a material reductionist, you know, a hard science guy. I thought that consciousness was an epiphenomenon of the brain. When your brain died, you know, it was an eternity of unconsciousness. And then um, as far as UFOs go, I I like them in science fiction, but I never really considered any reality to it. Um, You know, everybody knows when the Condon Report came out in 1969, I was, I think, 14 years old, and the scientific community kind of buried them under the rug for a good long time. And they're just now starting to take an interest in it with the free organization, Uh, The late uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell and Renario Hernandez started the free organization, and I'm in the middle of their first volume. I've been asked to write a chapter in their second volume coming out next year uh, based on my experiences. On uh, August the 18th in 2009, I was mowing my grass and had a heart attack and an anomalous near-death experience, which changed everything. Um, So after that experience, which I can detail if you like, I was interested in everything involved with the paranormal and
3: uh,
2: stumbled into the UFO field and I couldn't read enough of it. I, I got about two or 300 books under my belt, read about everything in the field, and at some point you reach that aha moment where you realize that, there's, this this is real, you know, there's a reality to this, and that makes life a lot more interesting. Uh, trying to figure out. Um, I was always one that said, you know, you can't get here from there using conventional means, but my interest in uh, hyperspace and quantum mechanics and uh, the paranormal, which all ties in together, has uh, prompted me to take a second look at how they're getting here possibly and uh, different various uh, manifestations. And I've really had a good time. I, I spoke uh, for the first time, I believe I met Ken at the Stargate to the cosmos last October, and I gave my first live presentation there about uh, my book that I eventually wrote, published in 2016, called Overlords of the Singularity, the Manipulation of Humankind by Hidden UFO Intelligences and the Quest for Transcendence, and uh, I posted that on Clifford Stone's uh, Facebook page, and Janet Lesson got a hold of me with Aquarian Radio, so since then, uh, I've just been having a blast meeting people in the field and talking on the radio and doing live presentations at various uh expos uh last october was my first one then somebody i met there invited me to the human origins conference next march in 2020 so i'll be doing another presentation there on uh, ufos and the paranormal and near-death experiences and whatnot so i'm just having fun with it
1: Wow, that's great. That's uh, Richard Smith, Richard and Linda Smith at Do Human Origins Conference right there in Albuquerque. Friends of ours, and been on this radio show, and lives there in Albuquerque. And yes, we're talking with Ken R. Johnston, Senior, former NASA Grumman, and did three thousand hours in and out of different, uh, I guess you'd say, space type stuff and so we're going to talk about that with Russell Brenniger. and uh, we've all three written books about ETs and alien UFO involvement and so we're doing our best to form the ACO Club Authors Book Club organization and I hope to get their books on there I've formed a new company, American blah, American Communications Online, where I'm uh, going through Amazon, which I've been with for at least 12 years or more as an author, but I've decided to help some other friends of mine do these radio shows and now events, since I'm now available in 2019 to get organized, so Ken's helping me do that, and Russell, I had a great time with him presenting his book. Uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago. I know you'd just written your book, and then uh I didn't get to meet you, and I apologize, but my daughter's just passed, but she had cancer so Russ I apologize for not meeting you in in Albuquerque, but I did meet Ken twenty seventeen over here in Mobile, and we're still talking about having something get some kind of get together, so we're forever learning about trust. How we speak about information and communication to each other, folks, and our group of people. So if you will here, uh, join with us every week. We're going to be building in the future of our species with varying levels of consciousness and paranormal experiences. And so we're going to share some of our stories here. And uh, there's some things going on right now in the levels of our human experience And uh, many people know about the ancient mystery schools and the new origins, or what we call ancient mysteries and new thought teachings. And Russ and Ken are both going through uh, a period of their life, uh, along with me, where we've had out of body near death experiences. We're looking at past life regressions and how the Ebens worked on the planet. And uh, if we truly feel like uh, we're experiencing this matrix inside the. Uh, reality that we're all creating. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the magical qualities of the human spirit and how we all first got into this. So, Ken, uh, you sort of got into the metaphysics. And then I want Russ to address that because Russ sort of talked about it. And we will talk about uh, ETs, Eben's Disclosure, because that's one of your favorite topics. And uh, But real quick, Ken, can you talk, have you had out-of-body or near-death experiences? I know you died at least once uh at 6 or something, but let's talk about each of our we'll, – we'll go around the table. Let's talk about our near-death experience or dying and going to the other side. I know you were, what, 6 when you first passed, Ken? Well, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, no, actually, the it, it, first thing that happened uh, – let, uh, let me give you a real quick little
3: background. I was uh, I was only two months old when my father died during World War II as a uh, a bomber pilot. Anyway, any rate, so at the, at the age of um, – Three. I had um, a cyst. I was born with a cyst over my left eye and it had to be removed. And uh, the doctor had, re- uh, re- during the process of removing it when I was three years old, my heart stopped be- beating. I stopped breathing. The doctor um, threw the tools in the air and grabbed me and started giving mouth to mouth resuscitation, which he had just been through a training class the week before to how to do it. And by the time they got what they call a pull machine in to, to help, because I swallowed my tongue and all that stuff that goes on, they had me sitting up crying on the edge of the table. Well, by the time I was six, um, I went in and I had the tonsillectomy. And the same doctor said, Man, you said you came the closest to staying dead on me than anybody ever did. Now, interesting enough, my two older brothers were looked more olive-like, tan olive skin from the Scottish side, by the Johnston clan, and my dad. Uh, with b- almost black hair, dark dark brown hair, but here I come along with light blonde hair and uh, hazel green eyes, and uh, I didn't look or act at all like uh, my uh, my two older brothers, and never never have. So uh, we're pretty sure that during that period of time that I died, that I I had a walk in, and that's who I am today. So that's that's been it. And then there have been a few other incidences that have happened in my life that were uh, so close and. Um uh, you, you get to the point where you realize that, you know, you're here for a certain purpose. And once you get your, your timeline straightened out, you can start working on getting it done. And that's, that's kind of what brought me in contact with TJ. I know that she and I were at the Johnson Space Center at the same time. We probably sat in on one of the meetings with Dr. Vonne von Braun when our, we were pushing the end of the Apollo program. So um, It's interesting how those of us, that, and, and I'll use the word chosen, there's a few books written,
1: Thank you. And uh, I want to see the correlation between all of us, right, the correlation. So, folks, that's what I'm trying to do is uh, try to figure out what we three have in common, uh, Ken, with uh, each other. So uh, is there anything else you want to add to that little part before I ask Russ to share his near-death experience? Because they're going to sound oh. relatively common, I think. Anything Thank else you, on your Anna. near-death
3: I think that we hear a little bit more from him and we'll find that there's even more where we have in
1: contact, so bring it on. Okay. Go ahead, Uh, Russ. It's all yours. Okay.
2: Well, uh, before August the 18th, 2009, I was uh, 54 years old and working as a rehab manager at a long-term care facility here in Newcastle, Indiana, and um, I uh, had gone home to mow my grass. I had been... I had broken up with a woman about a year previously because uh, we dated for about three years and she did she wanted to get married and i didn't I'd been uh, married and divorced twice well my second wife actually died, I was kind of done with marriage you know so we went our separate ways for about a year and then uh, on August eighteenth two thousand and nine I went home at uh, around noon to mow my grass and I opened up the garage door and got the lawnmower out and started it up and when I, I went about 10 or 15 steps and was overwhelmed with a form of fatigue that i'd never felt before and the first thing i thought being a nice hot august day was that i was dehydrated so i just stopped the mower and went inside and and, uh, got a drink of water and i was feeling a little nauseous so i turned the air conditioner on laid down on my bed kind of flip-flopped around trying to get comfortable and i started feeling a little bit better so like a dummy i thought i wanted to finish up the yard before i went back to work so I went back out there and pulled the string on the mower again started it up I got about 15 to 20 feet and the same feeling came back only about 10 times worse and I, I instantly realized what was going on, duh, you know I was having a heart attack and um, I really thought I was a goner so I started looking around, walking around in circles like, like a puppy dog trying to find a place to do his business because I didn't want to fall and hit my head on the gravel kind of a silly thing to cross your mind but I'd always been uh, sort. I was raised as a fundamentalist Christian, but I got away from that when I actually read the Bible and, and um, discovered that a lot of the stories in the Old Testament were rehashed from Sumer and uh, kind of retold tales from previous cultures. And I guess I considered myself an agnostic. But because I was, uh, I had a curiosity. I was really curious more than anything. I wasn't scared when this was happening. I, I was really sure that I was going to pass away. But it was like um, I get to find out, you know, if there really is anything on the other side because an eternity of unconsciousness isn't anything to really be afraid of. You're not going to know it at all. Uh, so I was just kind of like looking for a place to lay down and die. And um, all of a sudden it was just like somebody took a remote on a TV and just uh, changed the uh, tint of the whole situation like a alternative uh, perception and there was no birds singing all of a sudden. There was no sounds of the traffic or anything. And uh, I stood up, and for some reason I was compelled to look in the direction of the sun. So I was just standing there with my left hand on my heart, ready to go. And uh, I got the surprise of my life when uh, various uh, recognizable entities started showing up close to me. And um, it was almost as if I Googled, that Russ is dying into the fabric of the universe. And then just like on Google, uh, the closest associated links start showing up, and then other associated links start showing up. And the thing that really puzzled me is I had a positive ID in my mind. I recognize it now as a moment of clairsentience, but at the time I didn't know what was going on. And I was really, really puzzled that um, some of the first people to show up in my presence still living their life here on earth that that really baffled me because if they're if they're still living their life in another town here on earth how can this etheric part of them be here with me now ready to welcome me to the other side and i eventually after uh many books and uh studying i realized i think what what that was all about but um the thing that was conveyed to me almost uh, in, in an automatic, uh, download was that I had a choice to make. Uh, basically what they told me collectively in my mind was that they were more than willing to help me, you know, cross the veil to the other side. But are you sure you want to go right now? Because life on earth is sort of precious. You may have more that you want to do. And I just thought about it for a few minutes and, uh, I thought to myself real quick, wouldn't it be cool knowing that there is life on the other side of the veil and uh, recognizable entities to associate with and a lot going on on the other side uh, to have that knowledge here on earth and and keep living a physical life a little bit longer. So I just made a snap decision to go ahead and live with with that uh, knowledge and the strangest part of all was amongst those entities that were close to me to welcome me to the other side of the veil was a version of myself that i had not recognized existed before it was almost like everything good in me uh, uh, benevolent and kind was extracted and projected in the form of some sort of uh, light being Um, but i was pretty awed by that to realize that i are i already have an aspect of myself on the other side in another dimension and this life seems to be i guess some sort of an information feed to it and um, eventually I would get into a lot of uh, explanations about that with the simulation hypothesis and David Chalmers uh, matrix hypothesis but but anyway I decided to live so I went in I got my keys I drove myself to the hospital because I knew I wasn't gonna die because I just made that choice and had an encounter with other worldly beings and um, I, I just parked my car at the front door and walked in with the keys in my hand and told them I was having a heart attack and uh, if they would park my car kindly and, and bring my keys to wherever they take me. So they put me in a wheelchair and put me in a room, and I uh, hear morphine, and the doctor comes over, and he says, yeah, you're having a heart attack, and we're not really set up to deal with it here. We've got to put you in an ambulance about 40 minutes up to um, Ball Hospital in Muncie. And first thing I thought of was, oh, boy, i get an ambulance ride. I always wanted to see what that was like. And when they wheeled me outside of the hospital into the ambulance, the sun hit my face, and I was just... Filled again with that warm feeling that um, this isn't the only life that there is; that there's life waiting for us on the other side when we pass. And I thought of my friends and uh, loved ones that were so kind to me in that situation. And I thought of them all the way up to the hospital. And uh, there was a uh, two A.M.P.s in the ambulance. One was a guy who's about in his 50s, and then there's another younger woman. They both kept looking up at the monitor, and I, I I felt sorry for them that they were worried that they were going to lose me. So I told them a story about the previous weekend, and me gets stung on the ankle by a bee, and uh, the older gentleman said under his breath, uh, he'll think bee sting when he gets to that calf lap. And I just laid there thinking, I wonder what he meant by that. Well, I found out because <laughs> when we went up to Ball Hospital in the... Uh, an emergency room the doctors were standing there and they said they could either do a quadruple bypass or try a couple of stents to see how that worked. and I said well I don't know really the ramifications of uh, anything about that so tell me real quick so in about 30 seconds they told me and I made up my mind and I, I said I'll take the stents and uh so I got to watch them actually put the two stents in the back of my heart and uh that was really cool I didn't think it was going to make it because it looked like a hose that you would twist. I mean, it was the artery was completely shut off, uh, but this little bitty uh, jangling uh, Chinese handcuff-like device went up there and popped the artery back open. But I learned what the guy meant about the bee sting because when they put the needle in your femoral artery, uh, they've got you on uh, some type of sedation where you know it hurts but you don't care. And uh, I remember, uh, oh, that's what he meant. But as they wheeled me out of there... Um, One of the people that showed up for me in my yard as I was dying was the woman that I had been estranged from for about a year. And um, she was there with tears rolling down her face. They wouldn't let her in because uh, she wasn't family. And as they rolled me by there, I realized that the only reason she and I were separated is because of my fear. And I told myself right then, I'm going to fix this. So I spent the night in the hospital. They discharged me the next day. And two months later, um Julie and I flew to Las Vegas and got married by Dracula. <laughs>
1: so wow. we've been
2: married for okay. we've been married for uh like nine years and I think we're going on our tenth wedding anniversary. Uh I, think this, I get to do uh, your October one the
3: thirtieth. What's yeah, that? I'll do your one up oh, no that one.
2: Oh
0: yeah? <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, Go ahead. My wife.
3: And past lives, we know that now that we were in contact before. But then, uh, when I was at uh, the Boeing company up in Seattle, uh, I went to a um, oh, social thing called Parents Without Partners, and uh, the the woman that uh, took my money and tip she said, oh, "I want you to meet somebody," and she took me over and introduced me to this woman named um, uh, Fran Francine long and uh, we chatted for a little bit, and I. My brilliance, I said. I bet you wonder what a guy like me's doing at a place like this. And she, she says, no, not really. So, anyway, a month and a half later, we were married. <laughs> one and a half months. And uh, she left being the, the administrative assistant, the vice president of the uh, branch of Boeing Company, doing right well. And she left all of that and brought the two little girls. And we went to California, the Vandenberg Air Force Base, to work on missiles and everything else. so. Well, we only knew each other for a month and a half when we got married. We've been married now for 37
1: years.
2: Wow, congratulations.
1: Yeah, for both of you, just staying married, period. Because I've lived through all my husbands, many of them, so (laughs) that's part of my reality. Now, we're talking about how to build a new reality with our time, space, and measurement of who, what, when, where, why, how, sometimes how many, and sometimes how much in our civilian and Military complex combined lives with the way that we have set up the structure. Now, the one thing that I've heard that all three of us were military. Now, is that correct? Because I was Navy. I haven't talked about my near-death, but we'll get into at least the dates or the times or something on me because I want to get your stories down. And uh, mine's been on here for years with TJMRC2 Radio, but I'll go over the date or something about it. But uh, now, Ken, you're a Marine, and NASA and <laughs> yep. Grumman. And, uh, Rush, you were Army, and I was Navy. But weren't you Army? Did you, is that what yes, you said, so or Air Force?
3: Army.
1: So okay. Was, so was Army,
2: but uh Army, but in my own case, just about everything in my psyche uh, rebelled against everything military. I've been an anti-military activist for the rest of my life since I got out of there, because I realized uh, what the program really was was to train you to, and desensitize you to other human beings Uh, to where you would accept an order to go kill total strangers, and I was not going to do that. I mean, I just I I don't even care what the ramifications of that were or what people thought of me. Uh, So I I had originally signed up for four years, but I got out after two years, and I felt like, uh, you know, I started life out as a failure as a soldier, so I just kind of wandered the earth for two or three years. And that was, uh, looking back on it, that was one of the best periods of time in my life because I live perfectly fine without money Um, people ask me how I ate and I just say well (laughs) you know and it was uh, when you really open yourself up to the magic of the universe like that and just uh, take no thought to your life uh, really magical things happen I mean I'd have people drop me off and uh, you know I'd find a couple dollars on the ground or I'd be one block from a, a free meal place or a men's shelter or Or somebody would stop by and say, hey, you want to come stay at my house? I mean, it was really magical. All the things that happened. But I I never heard for a place to sleep or anything to eat. And I got to see all the states. And I I had my time to myself. And I met some of the most interesting people in the various uh, city parks of all places because uh, there's people who are really, really smart who just don't – they're not psychologically compatible with the whole nine-to-five working routine. But they've got their little routine of their daily life down pat. Like in Berkeley, uh, there was a free box where you could get a a free set of donated clothes every day. The pool opened up to street people so you could take a shower. And the Berkeley Catholic worker had a trailer in the city park that served a meal at 4 o'clock. So uh, I got quite familiar with that population and uh, found out that once a year they, they meet at a state forest every year. It's called the Rainbow Family. Uh, family gatherings, and I, I did several of those uh, every year. In fact, I may go up to Minnesota this July, and, and it's been about 30 years since I've been to one, but I think it'd be kind of fun. Um, where there's everybody that travels on the road, you know, with, with no money or anything, uh, they get together. And, and some of the people who would be considered bums on the street are some of the most highly respected, intelligent, well organized people. They might put the kitchen together. Uh, They might do this or that for various uh, groups of people. And uh, they go from having no status to having high status in this little bubble of the subculture. So I I met the Hare Krishna people. I almost joined the Hare Krishnas back in 1975. Um, Over the years, I heard there was a a Krishna city called New Vrindavan in West Virginia. And that's, that's on my bucket list to go visit if it's still around. There's about 600 Krishna families living there. Uh, who work all day, they play their music, and they dance, and they try to achieve Krishna consciousness, and looking back on it, at the time, I thought they were kind of nowhere in life, you know, it's like you really need to quit this and make something of yourself, but looking back on it, there were some very highly developed, spiritually oriented people who knew that the it was all an illusion anyway, so they just kind of renounced it all like a monk, and uh, they live a, a happy life of music and dancing every day, so... And raising their family. They do marry and, and, and have children. So uh but they live wow. in a family. And uh so it's a really interesting lifestyle that uh possibly missed out on, but I I still uh, feel a, a spiritual connection with the Krishna people. Uh in California there was various Krishna temples where you could go and um in the Christian missionaries you had to listen to a sermon to get a bloody sandwich. And in the uh the Krishna temples <laughs> <laughs> bribe you for, with a bologna sandwich yeah.
1: that's funny yeah. the, wow uh, what we do for Christ, spirit
2: <laughs> yeah in the Krishna temple you dance for about an hour to two uh, the uh, harmonium and uh, the tabla music you know so I, I would dance with them for about an hour and they serve something called prasadam which is a sugary rice dish so I much preferred the uh, Krishna temples over the missionaries but yeah I eventually got my act together and I you know, had a career in sales and then I got into occupational therapy and I I was really glad to have the transition from selling things to people to just uh, focusing on helping them. Uh, our clients have lost their independence with dressing, grooming, bathing, folding, or feeding in some fashion or another. Maybe they broke their hip or had a stroke. And our job is to get them back independent and send them home if we can. But if not, you know, uh, let them arrive at their maximum level of function so that they can stay comfortably in the facility and take care of themselves as much as possible. But I, I really enjoyed 22 years of that profession and I feel really privileged and honored to have met the, uh, uh, people that I have as clients in, in the last couple of decades. So I made a good selection wow. for my particular psychology, but ever since I had the near death experience in '09, uh, I've been uh, just obsessed with this idea of what the heck happened to me. You know, who, who were these people that showed up and how, that, how could that happen? And, um, I started out reading a lot about other people's near death experience, like uh, even Alexander, uh, the proof of heaven guy, the neurosurgeon that was brain dead for a while. There's absolutely no brain activity, and he had this wonderful experience and met some people in his experience that was confirmed when they brought him back to life as being a real experience. And um, then I ran into Dr. Kenneth Ring and the Omega Project, and he connected near death experiences to alien abduction.
1: And that kind of published. Really? I haven't yeah. heard that. Hey, I know you're very well read, and you've, you've done extensive yeah, the, research. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it, I had to buy bookcase after bookcase at Walmart. The cashiers got to know me, and so you're buying some more books. <laughs> so I get them on eBay, you know, used. And uh, I just blew through all of them. You know, Jacques Fillet, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Timothy Good. Uh, I really am a fan of John Keel's work. I, I've collected mm-hmm. all the. Uh, there's a guy I'm actually Facebook friends with, Andrew Colvin. He put together a bunch of wonderful audiobook collections of John Keel's work from the 60s and various magazines that he worked for, but he's got uh, The Outer Limits of the Twilight Zone, Flying Saucer to the Center of Your Mind, The Persipacious Percipient, uh, The Mothman Prophecies, and a really wonderful book called The Eighth Tower. Uh, The Eighth Tower uh, was hailed as sort of a cult classic in England, but over here he got stones thrown at him. Uh, because here everybody was kind of fixated on the extraterrestrial hypothesis. He was uh, the one that coined the term ultra-terrestrial and thought that a lot of the flying saucer manifestations were uh, transmogrified energy from various realms of the super-spectrum and entities that exist in the electromagnetic frequency band that uh, can somehow transmogrify energy into a temporary visible object here that just vanishes and that the witnesses are are highly selective. They're actually selective for these experiences. But what I noticed in the early UFO writers from Jacques Vallée to John Keel was they all uh, concluded, after it was all said and done, that, uh, like Jacques Vallée said, that uh, the UFOs were a control mechanism
3: for humanity.
2: And um, then Keel actually in the 8th Tower postulated that there might even be an alien machine somewhere on Earth that was producing what we call paranormal experiences uh, left over from an ancient advanced civilization trying to recreate their super science. And, what, uh, and even Jim Mars made, made a mention of that right before he died, that he thought, thought maybe the uh, antediluvian civilization that existed prior to the Younger Dryas Impact event of 12,920 years ago uh, that created a globally connected inter-megalithic uh, society um that maybe they had a piece of technology here on Earth that was guiding humanity towards greater uh, technology so that they could recreate their former glory and the technology that they had. Uh, Keel even speculates that maybe the uh, Kaaba that the uh, Islamic people have over in Mecca, the little meteorite that they venerate uh, on their Hajj journeys, uh, might have some uh, alien artificial intelligence to it. Who knows? Scientists kind of write the kebab off as a, uh, just a meteorite that fell to the ground. But if you dig into it, there's a lot of literature about uh, uh, the stone having certain powers and stuff. So it's all really interesting. You get into the, the ghosts. I, I spent the night in a haunted house and saw guys with uh, EVP equipment, electronic voice phenomena, and um, the whole group subculture of people in the United States that are out actively hunting ghosts. And my take on ghosts is they happen, but I I don't know if you can go out looking for them. You know, it's like uh, they just there's kind of an overlap of frequencies. Like sometimes when you change the channel on a television, you can kind of see a ghostly image or something. Well, the ghosts that people are reporting, I think, are sort of a frequency overlap like that that happens, sort of like a lightning strike. But uh, whether you can go out actually looking for ghosts or to communicate with ghosts, I'm still uncertain about that. But I I keep an open mind on it. So the,
1: well, uh, I'd like to mention lives. our. Oh, go ahead. Finish go ahead. finish that statement.
2: I, I was just going um, to. Of the. Uh, go ahead. Of the many types of ghosts that are in the literature, the etheric revenant is probably the most pertinent to the UFO phenomena, because the etheric revenant is thought to uh, use biological material from the three-dimensional realm to create manifestations. Uh, you know, blood, soft tissue, uh, things like that, in order to transmogrify that into a, a, basically an apport
1: of some t- sort.
2: But yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well,
1: the EBANs, uh, I, I was going to ask if you're familiar with the 28 million year cycle. Or uh, Back when I worked with my husband uh, during the Reagan years, uh, I was wondering if you studied any of uh, Linda Moulton Howell as a. Uh, Masters in Communications but she got on uh, a JAG and very in depth uh, studying the cattle mutilations and ET involvement or possibly uh, whatever but did you follow the track because she got a letter uh, handed to her by Rick Doty who is a person of interest in my life at this point or a friend on Facebook if you want to be nice about it (laughs) <laughs> that we're all friends and we're all trying to figure out our own stories, but uh, that's the, one of the tracks. I was wondering if you, in your book, now people we like, I, I mentioned on our uh, description where well, you're all writers of books in our authors' club, and uh, Ken wrote Ken's Moon, and Russ Russell Scott brenniger wrote Overlords of the Singularity, very thick book, very extensive research. He's an excellent research. Uh, Overlords of the Singularity But mine is Alien UFO Contact And before my husband died We wrote Roswell UFO Encounters So uh, Janet got hold of my book And that's how I've wound up with Ken and Russ So I have to give kudos Where kudos are due Because like he said Janet found him on Clifford Stone A friend of ours on Facebook We're all friends in social media But what I'm asking is uh, Russ If you have tracked the story From uh, Reagan forward. On the uh, March 2001, uh, my husband was at Camp David with President Reagan, and uh, we we follow up on the Robert O'Dean uh, paperwork that uh, with the Allied Command. Do you follow in your research? Did you yeah, follow it, it Robert or Bob together.
2: Yeah, there's a, a group of material called the Blue Planet Project where um, – they have a lot of interesting material about William Casey uh, and uh, basically briefing President Reagan about Roswell and about various ET populations. And that was right before he kind of went nutty and went uh, total, total tilt into the Star Wars program. I guess his briefing spooked him. And, um, you know, of course, Grant Cameron and PresidentialUFO.com, he's uh, spent about 40 years trying to figure out which presidents knew how much, if any, and uh, he has recently changed paradigms from the extraterrestrial hypothesis to more of an interdimensional thing. He's gone from nuts and bolts to consciousness. So it's uh, kudos to him for being open-minded enough to do that because um, I think with the free organization and the studies that are being done, uh, consciousness itself does have a big interplay into the UFO phenomena itself. Uh, Carl Jung used to think that the flying saucers were a manifestation from the collective human subconscious and he may have been correct but there may be an alien component to that that has a connection with the collective human unconscious and are able to select certain people and provide certain circumstances uh, with an overall goal in mind either for that person or for humanity in general and um, as far as Linda Bolton Howe goes uh, I've studied her book at Alien Harvest pretty extensively. I love the photographs that she has. I think it's on page 32 of uh, some of the infrared photographs during cattle mutilation incidences where they're just these interdimensional-looking blobs. One one of them looks like an amorphous brain with uh, like a a proboscis sticking down. And she has gotten so far as to realize that creatures from outer space are doing this. The cows are being lifted up into the air somehow, probably by some sort of a tractor beam. But it's still sort of a mystery how they're completely bloodless. And I've got my own little speculation based on everything I've read, is I think that the beam that's used by these creatures is a osmotic, uh, pressurized osmotic beam. So that the, they found a lot of the cows they have pink insides where they've been irradiated, And I think when they're irradiated and the tissue goes soft, the blood is extracted through the skin through osmosis up into a bladder or into a plasma body into the creature above that's got sort of like tentacles coming down. And I know this sounds uh, uh, kind of insane, but Trevor James Constable actually caught some of these what he called sky critters on uh, infrared film back in the 70s, and he's written a couple of books. One's called Cosmic Pulse, and the other one is uh, Sky Critters. And... uh, he thought himself that the creatures that he was photographing in the atmosphere were the ones conducting the cattle mutilations. So we don't know. Uh, there's, al- there's also another uh, incident in Brazil that Dr. Jacques Vallée <laughs> went and investigated called the Chupa, Chupa wave. And there's several really good photographs online of the Chupa, Chupa wave. And it looks like they have a plasma body with sort of like a, a tentacles coming down. But in the chupa-chupa wave, what's interesting was that these uh, creatures or craft or whatever they are that look like they're made out of some sort of plasma, they're bright, they're bright as a welder's torch, and they can give you something called Kling's conjunctivitis if you stare at them too long. But they turn into a flying saucer-type uh, appearance, and then they chase people and puncture them and draw blood for them. And that's why they call it chupa-chupa. Chupa. Chupa-chupa <laughs> means to suck, and chupa-chupa means they're having blood drawn for them. So Dr. Jacques Vallée went there in 1979 and was just astounded by this Chupa Chupa wave that they were, in that case, they were keeping the victims alive, but they were found with puncture marks. So I think when the the cattle or horse or cats or dogs or even occasionally humans, uh, if they're going to terminate the creature, they go ahead and uh, make it a bloodless extraction. They just extract all the blood. So when the cow goes up in the air uh, you know, 20, 30 feet or whatever, all the blood's gone and it's just dropped because they found cows that were hanging over fences uh, that have had broken bones and stuff. So if you connect all the dots with that whole phenomenon, it's being done with laser-like precision uh, instruments that can, uh, or, or biological appendages that can cut in between the cells. We didn't have anything of that uh, stature back in 1961 where this started out. The mutilations started, uh, they've been going on for a couple hundred years that we know of, but real heavily since 1965 to the late 70s, where it was actually epidemic, and the FBI was asked to get involved, and they wouldn't get involved, and the ranchers were all upset. They would have uh, carloads of ranchers with shotguns, you know, waiting to see, and all they would see was sort of a flash of an amorphous light And then the next day, you know, they would go there, and the cows were dead. They had no blood. Uh, Their sex organs were excised, their tongue, their jaw, and uh, just a classic mutilation. There are some human examples. There's one uh, from the Garak Paranga Dam in Brazil, I believe. And I read the autopsy report on that. And even uh, in Linda Moulton's house Alien Harvest video that she's got on YouTube, My wife and I were watching this for about two hours and trying to put this puzzle together about how this is actually happening. And then it went into the human mutilation. We went, oh, no. And the first thing I thought of was AI. You know, I mean, I I don't think human beings would have the capability of doing that to another human being because judging by its vital reactions and bruises, the uh, human was alive at the time this was done and some sort of cutting instrument was inserted into his rectum and some of his insides pulled out there's uh, little cu- cookie cutter uh circular marks on his shoulders and you can read about this online and that's uh, a really interesting case but the fact that every once in a while a human gets into the mix uh it's somebody that doesn't care about human life at all and uh has no feelings for 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 uh, animal or human life they just need what they need either for their own survival if they're a creature of some sort or possibly they're a biological technology that an even more advanced alien intelligence is using to extract the tissue samples that they need for whatever project they're doing. And then that gets into Dr. David Jacobs' uh, idea that the uh, since the abductions and the cattle mutilations were coexistent for about 15 years, real strong, Dr. J- David Jacobs thinks that there uh, there is an alien hybrid Alien human hybrid program going on that we're either being genetically enhanced somehow or that another race is mixing their genes in with ours or some type of um, hybrid program. And he has kind of a, Dr. Jacobs kind of has a dismal view on it. I read his recent book, Walking Among Us. He thinks that the hybrids are already here now and that their goal is to colonize or take over the world. And then there's other people like Dr. John Mack. And uh, many others who think think of these new uh, hybrids in a much more positive light that they actually are able to see into the spectrum a lot farther. Uh, They have certain uh, telepathic community uh, capabilities, and that it's a positive thing for the human race that maybe we were too violent and they had to tone that down. Uh, I think this planet Earth has had millions of years of terraforming involved in it. And there's a lot of loving care that went into making this the jewel or the oasis space that it actually is. It certainly didn't happen by accident. There's higher intelligence involved. And I don't think that they want the humans to blow the whole thing up. Uh, it's probably a petri dish that has all kinds of life on it that is uh, good for manipulating in certain ways to take off world, to terraform other planets. And it's a really good source. We have such a diversity of life here on planet Earth that it's just a really good uh, laboratory to uh, take specimens to other worlds and uh, maybe possibly alter them a little bit. You know, maybe the atmosphere is a little different or the gravity is a little different or whatever. But there's a lot going on in the uh, interdimensional realm and the extraterrestrial realm. And I think disclosure is happening every day. Uh, every single day, individuals and in small groups are uh, – They're exposing themselves to them and letting them know that we're not alone. But as far as any open contact disclosure event, um, I'm not sure the human race is ready for that. John Keel was asked if we would ever have open disclosure, and he said we're just not ready for it. So there's some people that are pushing for open disclosure right now, and then other people are worried about uh, what it would do to our religions and our economic structures and so forth, or people would just go berserk and there would be chaos. So,
1: right, so that's sort of why I brought uh, us together as a team of humans that uh, I want to find out what our similarities are because uh, Linda, in her, as her being an investigative reporter, that's what I call myself, investigator, but I've had out-of-death, out-of-body, near-death experience, extraterrestrial, CE5, if you listen to Dr. Stephen Greer, our J. Allen Hynek, meaning I have had first-hand experience one-on-one that not everybody will want to know about or believe, and I'm tying in my life just from my own experiences back to uh, the Allied Command on the planet and the Allied Command, the Supreme Allied Command off-planet. So, you know, having experience, whether it's real or not to others, uh, and having you come on with Ken uh, as my co-host I'd like to talk a little bit about how we perceive ourselves with extraterrestrials, Eben's, N D E, and sort of like uh I guess it's it's Stephen Greer, let, let, let me just put it this way. Linda went more on uh where she opened up a door or she went through Alice's and the looking glass, she says, back when she first had talked to a a, a detective or sheriff, i am forgetting which one but told her that he he could just save her a lot of time because one of the cows had dug a hole. With he speculated because of the pain, he thought they just let him back down, and he did his head back and forth. But she said at that time, it's when she went to she real He just said it's people you know people off planet or uh, aliens off planet. But she changed with that two and a half hour drive back to Littleton, Colorado, thinking about what he said and seeing all the pictures. So I'm sure you saw that in her book alien harvested, yes. whatever, but you can hear about that, but it changes us, and my near-death experience and out-of-body, when I had hepatitis, that's sort of common, I guess, if I had blood drawn out of my body in the second grade, and then that's in my books, and then when I started with UFO Digest, when I came out in 2007, but then again, when I had placenta previa with my fourth daughter, she just died and passed, so I'm still in this really deep bereavement over death and dying, and why we're here, and uh, I'm wondering all these years I put all this money into this, just this, well, 40 for, forty times 12 times 7 years coming up June six is how much just the radio show minimum, and then Spreaker's like another 40 and 20, I'm spending 60 there, and then I have all these websites I've tried to keep up as blogs and topics, and yet uh, you use social media, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. You know, and like everybody else, and now we're we're doing, everyone's got YouTubes, and I've got 70 or 80 out there, I think, not to mention the channels on all of them. And I'm like, okay, why am I doing all this? So, my mission, as far as I knew, coming back was like an agreement, like a bodhisattva or avatar, whatever you want to call it. But I'm very interested in how you put this together with me and Ken and anybody else that wants to join my ACO Invisible College. It feels like we're putting together something that people really can't see, nor can we really prove. It's all based on do you have a soul or do you not. Now the Ebans allegedly, now I can't prove this, I'm going on what Linda Moulton Howe shared with uh, others, is at the particular time that she got the letter from Rick Doty, where I'm picking up one of my trains of thought, is where my husband and I came in, 1980 to ninety three. And my husband had hundred uh 25 or 35 confirmed kills but he had many more than that and he was uh, under orders from the United States Army but that was his front job but he was actually undercover CIA and they finally put him in S2 division over in Europe but he worked right around Paris France and Allied Command but you said you're not familiar with Bob Dean and and the Allied Command and those that work with extraterrestrials and those that are on the planet. You're not familiar with that train of reality, are you? That yeah. Really, uh, you are Dean some of us that work, work with the, ET? Uh,
2: yeah. There was uh, Bob Dean was with the Shape Program over at Allied Command in Europe, and he was yes. exposed apparently to the same set of documents that William Cooper was exposed to, as a former naval yes. intelligence briefing officer. And in these documents, we know we pretty much know for a fact, uh, wh- whatever the reality behind the documents is, that high-ranking officers in our military are presented with these papers as if they are fat, okay? Yes. And bo- both Robert Dean and William Cooper said that they have pictures and photographs of various craft and various extraterrestrial entities, and uh, some of them look just like you and I and could walk amongst exactly. us and uh, we wouldn't even know any different. And, um, and that's my,
0: my testimony.
1: About, yeah. <laughs> that's my testimony, by the way. But that's meaning but, my you know, experience in the government and did. out of the government.
2: He was a really interesting person and spent uh, the majority of the remainder of his years uh, you know, t- talking about ET reality and uh, his experience with the SHAPE program. And the documents that he was exposed to. But the same even William Schaefer wondered the same thing that, that I'm talking about is that he wondered if the documents were real. You know, uh if well, they you, actually you do were, realize
1: that you do realize that they're talking about uh, Washington, London and I have first hand experience. So Washington and London, we were working with the Allied command out of Germany, right? And that was working under Warsaw and the NATO. And my husband having worked in it and educated me, and then me and he and underground and with extraterrestrials. So for years, we've been talking about this on this tgmrc radio. But yet, it doesn't get disseminated. And it's amazing to me because Bob O'Dean did the same thing back for 12 to 15 years before he gave us the first money to go forward with Janet and the Stargate to the cosmos and Tommy. And they joined me here seven years ago. So I don't know if you're familiar with our history or how we became the Allied Command or on planet or off. So this is fun having you here because you are such a researcher. And I think you left off your book with Dr. Stephen Greer. There's Stanton Friedman, 1934 1934- dash. Of the dash, and we're talking about my dash now, and Dr. Stephen Greer 1955 dash. Now I've no Stanton. I was on the phone when we chose Dr. Stephen Greer. Some of us in a program that I I'm imagine most people don't even know exists. So I'm at the 1951 dash in there, and then Ken being chose for the space program, astronaut, and then you. So the one thing we, I'm trying to find out is we all have a, something in common in the dash between it. But you've got Dr. Stanton Friedman, Stephen Greer, and then I, I'm expecting the next book to have you, me, and Ken in it <laughs> between, between there and the epilogue. So that's why I've, I've invited you here, and I'm really excited to have you here. But we've got to fill in that. So you you don't really understand all of the knowledge that Bob Dean shared with this the score well with what he did uh did you I, did you ever hear him speak about how he came upon up the program or on the uh his boss decided he wasn't going to get the information on the ET so they did their own right. investigation are you familiar with that
2: well i remember him saying in one of his youtube videos that he got a hold of a, a book uh, when he was on the job, like, like he was doing a night shift or something, and he uh, found this book and became really interested in it, and uh, had all this information about you know what the uh, governments knew about extraterrestrial civilizations and photographs and stuff. And I've I've seen him speak, you know, just online. I haven't seen him speak in person.
1: Well, uh, how would you put? Did you put him in your book? I don't remember. If you cover no, Bob Dean, but I'm sure you couldn't carry. <laughs> yeah, let me see I'm sure if it said sense. something about but, him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's well, a, there's
2: a section on Robert Dean and the shape of oh, Europe. Oh, yeah. good.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, I'd like, with me, you, and Ken, to pick up if you would play with us. Now, I've asked Ken to help me with the Allied command on Earth, and where we use civilian and military, and the three of us would be considered veterans. Whether you like it or not, you're still a veteran because you've got two years in uniform. You went through boot camp, and maybe we're yeah. all three-programmed. Maybe we're not on this planet. Now, here's the, the conundrum. Do you, could we be our souls? I say we have souls, and we're doing our own souls journey. Now, people that are interviewing like Linda Moulton or whatever, like why, and if, are the papers really real? And because we have a paper trail, and she's like, well, give me a DD-214 and give me where you were," which we know can be manufactured, and the government will or will not back you up, or you can or can get it out of Missouri and stuff. I happen to have a copy of one of my – For the wall, but it was like pulling teeth to get it because they told me when I got out because of the kind of intelligence work I did, and they took me down the basement where I was that I would never get the type that most people get. And so I don't have that, and I've spent 50 years in. So there's things we can see and things we can't see. There's products and services. There's tangible and intangible. But what about me, you, and Ken? And I'd like to sort of get that because this ACO Invisible College is about all the invisible knowledge that people have shared metaphysically, but how can we prove it? And do you think that we could be programmed to do what we're doing now because all three of us went through some type of military base? Just putting it out there.
2: Well, I don't know about the military, but uh, it's like John Keel continually said, the human beings on this planet are continually being reprogrammed. Uh, When you get into the contactee syndrome, there's two basic categories. There's an expansive category where a person actually, uh, after being exposed to one of these uh, nocturnal lights, um, their IQ increases. Uh, Sometimes they divorce their wife. They find uh, a new spouse. They change their life. They change their diet everything and then other times it's sort of degenerative uh, where the person's life spirals out of control or even commits suicide so the phenomena uh, can produce healings and can produce uh, an improvement in somebody's life and there's other uh, UFO encounters that seem very detrimental and damaging to the person and that's kind of a mystery as to why some people get the good kind of experience and why some people get the bad. Uh, One of the things that's happened in Facebook and social media over the years as I've gotten more and more and more UFO-oriented, interested individuals in my friends' list. So now it's gravitated almost exclusively into that realm where we're talking openly about extraterrestrials and interdimensionals and uh, what the government may or may not know, and whether there's going to be disclosure or a solar flash event where we transcend to 5D. And uh, it, my uh, internal life has improved online considerably, since uh, I've acquired all these new friends. And it used to be, you know, wow. 10 years ago, we just banter about politics or get into a flame war about this and that and the other. And there's yeah, none that's of that. that's the now. old
1: it's paradigm. Very, yeah, they're yeah, not so negative it's, it's, and bitching and. And debating yeah,
2: positive. And old
1: conspiracy you know. theory. Uh, it's a lot different than it used to be online. That's for sure. Not to mention right. they're they're monitoring it. And my mother couldn't even get on Facebook because she was mad at me because I wouldn't get in touch with her. And they cut her off and wouldn't even let her have an account because she ba- ba- badgered me so bad. Which I didn't get to read because they wouldn't send it to me. So uh, it's funny that you said now it's more positive. Now Ken. You're very interested in social media, and you have quite a following. And by the way, Russ, he's going to be speaking at the New Living Expo. I'll get in a little demo here. April 26th through the 28th, folks. I'm real excited that Ken and our little ACO club, as an uh, one of our officers, we're actually calling him the fleet commander, which I just made – Uh, official to somebody besides him and I today with Janet and uh, Rick Allen Miller that he is accepting, helping us with all our groups, all our social media. And we don't know how that's going to do so we're going to do a newsletter. (laughs) So if you want to write, Russ would really appreciate it because you're very open-minded. You're not closed-minded. You're not ignorant by any means. And I like open journalism where we don't try to do pro or con or left or right or, you know, with bias, coming in with, you think you know it all or you're biased, right? You just, this is no. the way you just find things to prove that you're right, if you know what I mean, right? So well, I don't so think Ken and I are uh, going to do that.
2: A very healthy dose. of living most of my life in the uh, normal scientific paradigm where the paranormal doesn't exist and the UFOs doesn't exist and all that. I still have a healthy amount of skepticism that I, uh, but... The difference is, since my near-death experience, I'm open to whatever person says happened to them, um, because I know I've tried to talk to some people about my near-death experience, and you get the deer-in-the-headlights look, like, okay, this isn't really going change. over very well, you know? So if it comes all to right. secrets, Secret Space Program yeah. 20 and Back Insiders, uh, two of which I've met, and people who uh, talk of encounters with light beings or angels, um, Pekandarian experiences where a person will have an encounter with somebody and they find out at the time they talk to them they've been deceased for several years. That's very common. Um, there's definitely – we're definitely living in an interdimensional existence. The three-dimensional realm is not all there is. I mean, you've got people in mainstream science now like uh, Dr. Uh, – uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, astronomer, saying that 50-50 chance we're living in a simulation of some sort. Uh, Dr. Nick Bostrom uh, wrote the simulation hypothesis in 2003. He thinks that from our distant future, we're creating ancestor simulations. Uh, Greg Braden on Gaia uh, just did a whole series on the simulation hypothesis, and he speculates that a post-human civilization that may even be us is r- running these simulations and has the capability of creating universes and avatars and embedding themselves into it. So even mainstream science is now considering the fact that, you know, this uh, may be a fabrication of some sort. Uh, physicist James Gates said that not only is there computer code invested in the mathematics that describes the universe, but it's a specific type of computer code and uh, discovered by Claude Shannon back in the 1940s. So there's a lot of people on board with the fact that this is a fabrication of some sort that uh, goes along with certain physical laws. And uh, so we're living in an exciting time. Uh, We've got D-Wave quantum computers that are making qubits that have uh, subatomic particles in superposition. Uh, What is superposition? Well, that means that uh, the particles can be in two states at once. And when they're in two states at once, uh, you can make calculations based on that. And uh, Dr. David Deutsch says this is the first time in history we've been able to access resources in parallel worlds and then you read uh, Dr. Michio Kaku's book Parallel Worlds and he describes about six parameters that have to be set exactly correct and hold steady for billions of years at the Big Bang uh, for the universe to bear life otherwise it would just have expanded into oblivion or collapsed upon itself already with no, no life ever uh, springing forth so there's conscious intention involved uh, the consciousness field permeates the entire universe uh, they're triggering that out So we're living on a big scientific paradigm shift right now and it's going to get even stranger in the next decade or two. And one of the reasons I think the technological singularity has a lot to do with the UFO phenomenon is number one, if you read all the uh, writers from the 60s and 70s to the 90s like Dr. Jacques Vallée, Timothy Good, uh, John Keel, Curtis Peebles, anybody you want to choose, there's always a suspicion that it has something to do with technology. And then... uh, the Friendship Group, back in 1956 in Italy, uh, warned us that there was a, uh, an invading AI force that worshipped technology here that had kind of intentions of humans' technology of their own. So it's good to know that there's higher-dimensional humanoid beings from various parts of the universe uh, that call themselves the ACRI, uh, the Friendship Groups, W56 Group. But their warnings about the CTRs, or the Contraries, or this group from uh, allegedly from Orion, that uh, doesn't have uh, humanity's best interest in mind. It'll be interesting to see what actually happens as we go through the singularity because I think augmented intelligence is necessary for for us to even perceive who our visitors are. Uh, They're on such an advanced um, cosmic level compared to our mentation that we need our brains electronically augmented to even perceive or understand them correctly. So that's one of the elements of the singularity that I'm looking forward to is uh, computer-brain interface and augmented intelligence and, um, so that we can uh, perceive into the super-spectrum a little deeper and understand uh, better you know, the nature of the flying saucers and the intelligences that are behind them.
1: Well, you're definitely up on your game. Uh, Ken, let me get you in here as co-host with uh, Russ, because you both were speakers and I was not for Janet and uh, her promoting the Stargate to the cosmos, but you both have met. Uh, Russ, you you said you met Ken, but Ken is going to be speaking now. Is there any way, Russ, you could get back with Ken on? Ken, I would love for you to promote the three of us and our groups of people coming forth, but I don't know what we're going to be doing except explaining how social media has changed, but the singularity. Ken, you're going to be talking of two parts. They've got you speaking on uh, this Ken's Moon, your book with all the pictures and then they've got you on your uh, second book which is your past life regression which is a big part of MUFON. They have the nuts and bolts people of MUFON and investigators of the sightings and then they have with Kathy Martin and the Experiencers Research Team that she started. Kathy is the uh, niece of Bill, Bart, Betty and Barney Hill. But with Russ on here, and we've only, we've only got about 15 minutes left because I had 30 minutes lost on this one, but we can invite Russ back next Tuesday if he's familiar. Ken, would you like to talk to him at all about how you could help others by seeing both the spiritual or uh, the metaphysical with the UFO? Because uh, there needs to be some kind of bridge between your two books, and I'm not sure how that presentation is going to go, but I'm excited for you, Ken. I'm just glad I'm not you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, the feeling goes both ways, I'm for sure. Um, now, the, of course, the, the first book, that Ken's Moon, is the uh, an autobiography that gets it all the way up to um, what I accomplished during the Apollo programs and who to make contacts with and then. Uh, and ended with just a little bit about um, what actually was going on. It took me decades, a couple of decades after uh, leaving the uh, space program in 1980, to realize that, that there was a secret space program going on, and that um, <laughs> being able to take a look at what I had in my archive rec- uh, pictures and things like that, and going back and looking, at it, I think, "Oh my gosh, all this time I'd just been looking at, you know, the, the the lunar dirt or looking at the command module, but." Down here in orbit, looking down on the lunar surface, there's a, a whole base right there. And all you have to do is just enlarge it a little bit and you can see that. That, as well as then getting uh, into the hypnotic regression along with uh, Dr. Sasha Lesson uh, to um, open up some of the memories that I had lost and it, even part of it uh, in, in my childhood. So we kind of to touched on it there, and Rustin, I think you kind of um, touched on it a little bit. We either in this time loop or what have you are here for particular purposes and it's either to educate and to, to learn more for ourselves and, and part of that comes about by uh, being able to do your research and find out most people as you've said they'll, they'll say you, you know, you're know you a wacko if you believe in anything extraterrestrials and this and what have you although if you've had the experience that most I'd say all three of us have experienced um, direct contact during this life, and then uh, we have to take a different look at, at what's going on in, in our our timeline, are, and that's one of the things that I'm saying. Interesting enough, um, I had come forward and, and said, said that I think uh, around September the 22nd, I gave the exact date, that there's going to be a major event, something to take place where a lot of this is all going to start coming together and make sense to other people. Now I I notice that on some of the people I listen to, uh, David Wilcock, he's he's saying September 22nd this year too. Now did he get that from me, or uh, what have you? So there's we are in in the area of what I'm calling full disclosure right now, and we're making it more and more public. So this this whole event uh, is taking place and is becoming more and more real, and uh, it's kind of exciting to be a part of it and, and helping other people discover that we're not all wacko, that uh, there is existence throughout the whole universe, that um, it's about time that this this experiment called planet Earth has now reached the point where hopefully we can stop trying to kill everybody and everything. It's, it's frustrating. Russ, that can you break it? That- that-
1: can you break that down what I'm trying to get Ken Ken has two books, but he's going uh-huh. to be speaking, not your eye at the Living Expo, which has thousands. It's a huge platform. It's an honor for him to speak uh at this living Expo, and it's Chris Dunn, I believe, is the organizer Ken is that who it is that's that's uh, correct. correct yes and and uh they've got him doing his past life regression, which is the soul. Or the spirit of it And they've got the word ascension Which is what I was told to call it By the extraterrestrials that trained me Was the ascension When they gave me a, a like a crop circle symbol On a computer before we had access to the internet <laughs> But they told me to use computers But it was ascension and the UFO stuff. So the key words are, I was shocked. I, this is only coming to my realm of or scotomas or lack of scotomas or whatever you want to call it, Russ. But what, Russ, you can do is help be a bridge because uh, you know I said he's going to be going on the 26th, and here we are having this meeting here, uh, and I'd like to have another before he goes. So we've got 10 days before he's speaking on the 26th to the 28th of this month. But, Russ, is there a way you can – Sort of do a, a small, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like a blurb for him to put the two, because that's what they're doing with MUFON. They're putting the, and in, in you you can help look at this because you're an excellent researcher, on how they're pulling in the mind, the consciousness, the soul, the ERT, the experiencers research teams with Kathy Martin. On their team, MUFON, versus ours, which we're all independent contractors. We're our independent agents and consultants with ACO. You know, we're ACO Association, more integrative medicine, more metaphysical, more spiritual, and UFO Association, which is really, really old, but uh, I started with, with George Filer and Stan Friedman, which were both uh, people that said, please don't forget our work and working with us, and You know, I was talking to Stan back when he was writing books, but he and I never got one done, but I put a couple of his things in mine. But you see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to bridge like I tried to do with Ken and Richard, or, well, George Filer and him, like uh, I do a power of three. With you, Russ, and uh, Ken here, uh, what would be your part? Can you bring us together here, Russ? You know what I'm saying? How do you bring it together?
2: Well, I'm not really sure what you're asking. You've mentioned uh, what we all three had in common, and I would say the near-death experiences and the knowledge that this world isn't all there is, that when you physically pass, uh, you find yourself waking up, just like you wake up in the morning from a dream. When your body dies, Mm -hmm. you just find yourself in this other reality, and you go, oh, okay. It's a a realm that you're very familiar with, and uh, that's probably why Steve Jobs, when he was passing, went, Oh wow! Oh wow! You know, it's like there is something after this. Uh, so right. this is not the end. So we have that in common. We have an interest in uh, the UFO phenomena and ETs and the interdimensionals, and how it may tie in with Earth's religions. And it's a deep—that's quite a deep subject uh, because there's a deep ancient history with uh, intervention in various places, both genetically and uh, spiritually. So. One of them uh, you know, would be uh, between Homo, Homo erectus walked the earth for almost 2 million years, and they only had one piece of technology. And that tol- tells me that there was uh, no competition amongst them because it's the competition and the one-upsmanship that, that perpetrates an improvement in technology because you're always looking for a, a device to kill your neighbor with better before they get you. It's out of fear. And if they just had a bifaced axe for two million years, that tells me that they were peaceful and uh, traveled around in little clans. But somewhere along the line, uh, the ends of uh, chromosome number two, called the telomeres, were fused, and the uh, overlapping code was expertly deleted. So there's definitely an ET intervention point between Homo erectus and Homo sapiens. So that's something that the three of us have in common is ancient history, a possible lost chapter in human civilization or galactic heritage, possibly from Lyra or wherever, uh, based on certain channeled information. I'm not somebody that uh, expects perfection from channeled material because it's coming through a human brain. Anything that comes through a human brain is going to be imperfect. But just like uh, it doesn't matter if, matter if if you're reading fiction or nonfiction, if you're reading it, as a reader, you're only going to accept what resonates with you, so it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction or anything in between. If if an idea comes to you based on your reading that means something to you internally, you're going to assimilate it and keep it and, and make it a part of your being, no matter where it came from. Um, there's several channeled works that I have a real affinity for. Uh, number, one would be the Urantia book, and the other would be uh, the Oaspi Bible, and the other one would be uh, the Prism of Lyra or the, um, the uh, Law of One, the raw material. I found that just excellent source of information about the different densities. And the interesting thing about the Law of One material is that it correlates with Dr. Nick Bostrom's idea about the running ancestor <laughs> simulations from the distant future because the raw material says each one of us has a sixth-density higher self uh, that exists in what we would call the distant future. And this higher self of ours is trying to uh, go from sixth to seventh density, which is the cosmic to the uh, cosmic, the portal to the cosmic supermind, and it's needing um, the lessons that we're learning here in this lifetime uh, to enable it to go forward itself. So we're all actually in service to our higher selves. And then you get into the idea that this uh, life of mine might not be the only person living on Earth or possibly another planet that's providing an information feed for the higher self that i met on August 18th of 2009 so I know this being exists I know it's me but there may also be other souls that are uh, like a group soul complex that are feeding information into this, this uh, higher entity so I'll, we're at a unique point in history right now where the science is connecting with metaphysics and uh, quantum mechanics is intersecting with consciousness and it's all coming together and there's a lot to learn and that's why, you know, when I listen to somebody's testimony, whether it's on TV or in person, I, I try not to judge at all, and I just file it away. Maybe I can use it as a later date. Maybe it'll connect a dot, you know, with somebody in the future, um, and then, then I'll know that person was telling the truth. For example, uh, right now I'm trying to learn a lot about time and how time operates. And, um, an oh, yeah. Get... There...
1: What do you think there's of that guy Italian... I gave you, uh, Anthony Peake? Did you like him? I haven't
2: looked in, I haven't looked into
1: him yet. Oh you did? No, I haven't looked
2: into him. Okay. Yet. No. Well in
1: a relationship with our intimate selves, right? And in a relationship with uh, what we're doing here with the abduction scenario or the higher self scenario. But yeah, you're right. Now a lot of people use the law of one in the raw material. Who was the original writer of that in your mind's eye? Because uh, David Wilcock uses it over and over again if you're familiar with David Wilcox. Well, it
2: was uh, an engineer, um, David Elkins. Uh, they wrote another book called The Secrets of the UFOs that's really, really good. But Carla Ruckert, back in 1981, was the actual channel. And uh, they portrayed themselves as having uh, an existence in Egypt, uh, the creators of the pyramids. They created them by thought. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who knows? Some, some of it resonates and some of it, like, I'm not so
1: sure about that. The
2: they, Right. Uh,
1: Each so resonates on various frequencies, would you agree or disagree? Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: And that's that's the comforting thing about passing from here, is you're going to be around people that are of a similar level of advancement to you. You know, I've noticed that just in this life. When I buy a Volkswagen, all of a sudden everybody I know has a Volkswagen. Uh, I shaved my head, (laughs) and all of a sudden I I was at a table in a restaurant, and every guy around me had a shaved head. You know, it's like there's this law of attraction. Going on both physically and spiritually, where you're always kind of like in the same boat with the other people, and it's no different when you pass. It's like uh, everybody advances at their own speed, and when your body dies, you just find yourself around familiar beings that uh, you know accept you in may, a loving way. Make them back.
1: Yeah, make them back. May not. Yeah. Listen, we've got interstellar, intergalactic, and advanced multidimensionals, and whether we could travel in time or not, we're working on that. And there's a professor Mallet. That's working on uh, plasma and time travel and all that, so we'll get into all that. I'd like to have you back. We're out of time, and I apologize. I owe you at least 30 minutes, but, you know, I wanted to get farther on the very levels and dimensions that uh, we're simulating in this reality. Whether paranoia sets in or not, we're going to discuss it and not worry about the haters, (laughs) <laughs> so I'd like to, I'd like to have you back uh, if you'd care to as a caregiver and make sure that we list you and uh, in the at least in the ACO with your integrative medicine and you as a caregiver and working in the medical field and helping people. So you're definitely, I guess with my star seeds, you'd be a light worker and truth seeker as well. So we have light workers and truth seekers. But have you had a chance to look at ACO association at all? Just putting yourself. I mean, I know you're in social media with me. But have you had a no, chance to look a at my blog today through
2: uh, Facebook Messenger that I need to look up? I need to look up Anthony Peak and the AOC yeah, and all that. I'm, I'm unfamiliar
1: with. So. Okay, I started the UFO Association separate, but it's really, really old. But uh, it was back in the day. But you know, people changed, and i i shut and flattened down a lot of my websites over 175, I think, from the beginning and inception of time when I used computers before. You know, we had uh, the military and the DARPA, and we had Sun Systems, and then we went to Wayne. But it was way back, uh, Fortran, COBOL, and then all that in the government. But now I was told to use computers and do communications, so I feel like I'm doing what I'm doing. But uh, I want to pull together those that want to be uh, related to whatever we're doing here. So uh I, I call it the ACO Club because anybody that's not in me in my in my physical three D body <laughs> whether they're other dimensionals or universal souls such as yourself and Ken. I I don't know how to do it. So I had I put uh agents, consultants and organizers with my Ascension Center organization and uh just put ACO Club as my social club. So I've been promoting that for gosh uh at least since twenty twelve. When I came out with my book 2012 and Beyond, but I don't know that uh, how to do this. So I'm, I'm saying we're going to do an authors book club. So I'd like to put your book on that in Kent's and, Ken's and uh, hopefully move forward with the ACO club. But I don't know. A lot of people don't want to join other people, but they do free social media and stuff. And I'm trying to grandfather in those that are friends of mine. So I, I guess Russ, would you be considered a friend of mine, even though we're just social media and radio? <laughs> Well, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, feel free
2: to call me personally any time. You know, you can fill me in on what you're doing and, you know, figure
1: something out. Okay. Well, I've asked Ken to sort of help me with all these social media groups because we've got so many thousands of people that consider themselves my friends, and I don't know how to do this the next level. So, uh, just consider it the bridge that we're talking about between. Well, the two books that Ken's wrote, you know, there's a lot of past life regression, physical therapy, and I like uh, consciousness and working on Nero and and soul and the spirit part. And Tommy likes to concentrate on the spiritual aspects and the soul. And uh, he's done a lot of work on world uh, information and uh, I guess theology. So uh, let me just real quick mention to you, Russ, that uh, I liked the way that Bob Odean. He separated. He knew he was his historian, and he had theology, and he did history, literature, geology, mythology, theology, science, and philosophy. And I finally wrote that down. He said he wasn't a prophet or preacher or proselyting, but, you know, he did believe alien civilizations exist, and that was my message that they do, and we're moving forward together with communication. So I was considered a communication officer in this life. So if you can help me get... From Bob O'Dean to this and use the ACO Club, I'd really appreciate it. And I've asked Ken to help us. So, uh, Ken, do you, is it okay if Russ gets in touch with you on Facebook? Are you all friends already, Russ? Do you know?
2: I'm not sure. I'd have to check. It might be. I,
1: I probably friend two or three
2: people. or I accept just about every request except when I go there and I find it's just like selfies from girls. I don't know what they're up to, but I don't have any interest in that, so I just delete them. But if they're a real person oh. and they've got they've got posts that show that they have an internal life and they're interested in things, I always accept their friendships. So, if Ken had sent me a friend request, I'm sure I accepted it. But you know, after tonight, we can be sure. Okay, okay. Ken, like- could you look
1: up Russell Brenneger and maybe we can get Russ because Russ is highly intelligent, very deep researcher. And Russ, would you consider yourself like we consider ourselves metaphysicians? You know, you look for these titles to help do your tag words for social media, but I'm trying to bring friends together in a social club. But I'm looking for tag words and how to get them to come together oh. for our learning and trust. But are well, you a since, metaphysician since, or no?
2: Since '09, I just consider myself a, a student. You know, I I yeah, uh, well. I, I feel like. Uh, that That day that that happened to me, I accepted that we live in an interdimensional reality, but I'm not quite sure you know what to make of that, and I've spent a lot of time in the last decades since this happened of um, reading about what other people think about it and kind of filing it away and I find that the near death experiences are very common it's, I found out through the literature that it's very common to have been presented with a choice whether to move on or to stay here. That happens to a lot of people, so those types of things are very confirming, you know when you have a weird experience it just doesn't even fall into your paradigm of reality like I had uh, I you, know you want it. to know if there's if if there's other people that have experienced the same thing and I've got into the scientific aspect of the ketamine theories and all the uh, the poo-poo the woo-woo you know everything about it so I I just I, I consider myself a student of the of the metaphysical worlds and a, a, stu- a student as of late of, of quantum mechanics. I ran into a Italian physicist named Carlo Rovelli, and um, it started out. I bought a book by a, a futurist, a Russian futurist named Alex Vokolov. He wrote a book called the Sintelect Hypothesis, and it's really information rich. I, it's about a 300 some page book, and I've only made it to about 100, page 120. Because I got sidetracked with three audio books By Carlo Rovelli who explains how Time works and that has Actually opened me up to some Of these stories about the 20 and back programs And all that because he Confirms that there is such a thing as a temporal Time loop where you can come back right to where You start so here's uh, One of the cutting edge physicists that Are kind of making a scientific avenue Of feasibility for a story That I listened to and you know I kind Of filed away because it was beyond my Personal experience but these days, even if somebody tells me something that happened to them that, that doesn't fit in with my current paradigm of reality, I don't chuck it. I mean, I just I just file it away in in, in a file somewhere and, and uh, try to well, use I've it Tommy if I have got later here. on.
1: I've got Tommy on here. <coughs> Excuse me, I can't talk. I'm, uh, Tommy, you want to say hi to Russ because we're at the end of this session. Go ahead. Say hi. Well, th-
0: Greetings. Hi. I've been listening all the while. Uh I I try to let her deal with what you want to talk about. I mean, I'm a little bit uh, open about a lot of things. I mean, I had so much experience in my life as well. So uh, I think we can create something like the way TJ is describing it. We each have to find how we're going to put ourselves into the puzzle to make it one puzzle, to make it fit right and work right. I'll just feel we need a little bit of this and a little bit of that. TJ is trying to make it like we all talk about the same thing, and it's really hard because we can only talk about our, well, I only can talk about my experiences. I won't talk about anybody else's. So what you learned and worked through in life is a benefit. Each one of us has that part, which we need to talk about. And I think that's how we can create the perfect picture in what, what TJ is trying to put together. So it's been a pleasure. I listened to you. I enjoyed the show. Yeah. Nice meeting you, Tommy. Uh, like I said, I, I'm on my fifth book. I I give my first two books away to anybody who wants to read them. I'm not into making money on this planet right now. I'm more into bringing out the truth, my truth, what I experienced, and I can prove myself at least. But I always give <laughs> a person an option. You could always, if it's important, you could prove it to yourself, and that's all that matters. It's funny that me, that to me. I think that's the right, bottom right,
2: line. I'm not into it for money either. In fact, I, I was saying earlier in the conversation, I, I was happiest when I didn't have any money. I always got a sense of relief <laughs> when a dollar left my pocket. I I think I must be from some <laughs> world like Star Trek, you know, where they don't use money because I've always yeah, you had, just had get weird, weird relationships with money. Everything's provided for it's like. I'd rather just live without it, and I I, I consider. I was never things.
1: happier than in the military, Russ. I liked having my clothes and my oh, food Lord. provided for me. Tell me where to go and what to do. I was, I thought that was cool being in the Navy, but I I didn't stay long because they wanted me to do, you know, they I I quit. Uh, well, they they had the CIA lady come and do my files for me in Hawaii, so they apparently the CIA bought my contract from the navy is the way I was told so I guess they did the NSA or what was it Naval Investigative Service said uh the CIA <laughs> they verified that for me so I don't know that anybody cares anymore that was a long long time ago 40 40- 30 years ago, but anyway, yeah. so we are all we're all got stories to tell, and uh, I guess if we can come together, great, but uh, that's Russ brenniger folks. Russell Scott brenniger was helping us tonight with our ACO Invisible College with uh, my co-host Ken R. Johnston, Sr., who will be speaking April 26th at the Living Expo in San Mateo, California. Please go to hear him, April 26th through 28th. And then a final uh, ACO club with Tommy with the Ascension Center, Oregon UFO Association, and I guess we're going to just all try to get to know each other for for sure in social media. So find us on Facebook, and uh, I guess Russ Russ Brenniger, B R I N E G A R, and this will now be on Spreaker, iTunes, Stitcher, FM radio, and YouTube. So look for my. I think I've got. I'm paying for fifty a hundred bucks per. Two lines that go from Spreaker over to my YouTube to get uh, so you can hear all of this. So everybody, if you want to work with me, I'm putting out the bucks just to let you know. It doesn't sound like much, but when you're on a fixed income and you've put 50 years in and now you're just retired, believe me, it's getting to be a lot of money. (laughs) So, but anyway, everybody, uh, thanks for coming on. Russ, because you can talk so fast about so many topics and you're so uh, over. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, all encompassing. I'd really like to have you back and get to know Ken before he goes over the 26. So, can, uh, Ken, may I say you're Mars One astronaut on here? So, can, anybody that wants to contact you? Okay, everybody, we've asked uh, Ken to sort of help us on our social media. And Russell Brenniger, Tommy knows, hawksblood1 at com for hawksblood if you're in Hawaii. Ken is in New Mexico, but he's heading up our complete fleet of all our groups, all our social media, all our websites, so we can do a newsletter. And Janet wants us to do it weekly. I don't at least do our radio shows. And Russ knows Janet real well, and Doctor Lesson, and uh, he. I guess we'll meet Tommy. Uh, I haven't met Tommy either, Russ. I've met Ken, so I know Ken. And I'll meet Russ, I hope, in the next, uh, I guess we're having one this fall. We're going to try to have another meeting in fall, if not March, with, uh, I guess, we're supposed to have one according to our bylaws, Russ, if you want to get involved with us and help keep us straight. Me and Tommy, were the only ones trying to be official-like for years. So uh, TJMRCT Radio, and would like to meet you guys annually if you're in our social media groups, Russ. Renniger is on Facebook Ken R. Johnston uh, please send any questions to Mars1Astronaut that is actually Ken R. Johnston M-A-R-S spell out 1-O-N-E one, Mars1Astronaut one A-S-T-R-O-N-A-U-T if you'll write that Russ down Mars1Astronaut at gmail.com I'd appreciate it and uh, go look at our ACO Association articles and bylaws you can look at TeresaJMorris.com and what I'm trying to do with the ACO Association and the UFO Association. And I do have a Patreon and a, a page, and Ken, I want you to get a Patreon. I told Tommy today, I told Janet about a year ago, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. You don't have to have money or people give you money, but Russ, I'd like you to put your book on Patreon. That's just something I've noticed a lot of our lecturers and speakers at these events do, They also list with IMDB, with Amazon, imdb.com. And, uh, of course, hopefully on my website, I'm trying to get a directory together of who's interested in the UFO business, and we're going to put them in UFO Association. And then we have Authors Book Club for the ACO Association, authorsbookclub.org. We've got UFO Association now. Do .org, not not .com. Russell, uh, UFO Association .org. But what I'll do is, anybody that's a friend of mine that wants to be grandfathered into our club before we get involved with the public, Ken is trying to get together 60 people, and Tommy may be able to help him. And we're going to get uh, people meeting each other with Rick Allen Miller, and then I'm going to give uh, certificates of or diplomas or whatever you want to call them, certifications or certificates. For what we're going to be doing, and whatever we're going to call it, whether it's metaphysics, uh, UFO biz, uh, <laughs> ascension, you know, all the stuff that all these events are having, consciousness. But Russ, may Russ, you're so brilliant and studied all these over all these books and all these things, pulling it together. I'd really like your data, your mind input, your conscious resonance. <laughs> You even got the oh, Pascagoula alien encounter in your book, man. You, you had Pascagoula, you know, because they made a book out of that, and I helped Philip Mantle. He was asking me how to get in touch with the guy and all that, and Philip oh, Mantle I'm, is a good I'm friend fa- of mine.
2: I'm Facebook friend yeah. with
1: Calvin Parker. <laughs> yeah. I imagine I am, too, but I don't know that we talk. I don't have time, but good. Well, good. So uh, we need anybody that has socially, uh social impact if you're looking to build people and help people. Uh, we're all about serving humanity and the arts and humanities and science, too. So come join us. Look for Ken R. Johnston to lead us as fleet commander. And uh Ken? Any last parting words to try to keep us all together? That's your job.
3: <laughs> um, just stay tuned, and we'll, we'll keep keep moving forward. And uh, it's, it's great to meet you, uh, Russ, and uh, look forward yeah. to us all working as a team. That's well all we can do. Okay.
1: Friday then, Ken, right? We're going to do Friday?
3: Uh, so, that's that's the latest plan for me. That'll work. <laughs>
1: okay, Fridays and Tuesdays for right now, folks. And then Tommy... If y'all want to do spiritual Sunday, we can meet here Sunday. So uh, Russ, you want to talk about spiritual stuff? Get with Tommy and me on Sunday. So thank you, Russ. You're we we definitely want to have you back. Thank you for last minute and showing up tonight. That was excellent. Appreciate your help. <laughs> okay, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Can we have me? you back? We have you back. Yeah. You think sometime?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Like awesome.
1: Awesome. We'll keep Tuesday available then. All right, folks. Love and light. uh, Thank you, All right. You bet. Thank you for co hosting. Thank you, Tommy. We'll see you Sunday. All right. Good night, everybody. Talk to you later.
3: Good
2: Good night, everybody. everybody. All
1: right.